The reading is from Acts chapter 4, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John whilst they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were um, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They heard Peter and John, sorry, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. It's great to be with you. Can you hear me all right? Good. As you know, my name's Alan Goldring. Um, I actually come from Enfield, which is not very far away, and so, so it hasn't taken me that long today. First time ever, I think I went straight through the, uh, um, the gyratory system here uh, without stopping, and that was amazing. <laughs> so, um, 
Anyway, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you very much as a church for your support of math over the years. And thank you also for um, individuals who have um, supported MAF as well. Um, okay, let's move on, I hope. <laughs> I've got to turn this on, haven't I? Sorry, right. I think we're now here. Good. Okay, right. <clears throat> Okay, so the question, um, first of all, my apologies for not wearing a jacket. I thought if I wore a jacket, I'd probably pass out by the end of the talk. Not that it's that long. <laughs> uh, so uh, there we go. Let's move on. What is MAF? Um, MAF is a, <coughs> a Christian organization whose mission is to fly light aircraft in developing countries so that people in remote areas can receive the help that they need. <coughs> it also stands for Mission Aviation Fellowship. Foundation was a good guess. Well done. <laughs> uh, <coughs> but it's fellowship. And, um, and so I, we should also go for math or uh, MAF. I heard American recently call it MAF. Um, so um, we answer to all those names. But our aircraft are based uh, abroad, in countries abroad, as we shall see. And, um, and our pilots are there, obviously, as well. <coughs> Just a very o- quick overview of what we do. We get involved in, there's four areas that I want to highlight. First of all, we get involved in medical work. And there you can see there we have a, a, a float plane, actually, uh, on a river. It could be somewhere like Bangladesh, where we have an aircraft base there. It's a country which is half underwater for half the year. There's a big disaster that's happened there as well, <clears throat> also. And um, we can pick, pick someone up, perhaps from a bank who's injured or ill, and then we can take off and then take them to, perhaps to another hospital ship, which is um, on another river somewhere else, and deliver them there for that uh, care. Uh, then we get involved in disaster relief. We have a team of people in America who will assess any kind of disaster that happens worldwide, whether MAF can get involved. Obviously, there are countries like India and Pakistan and uh, China, uh, where their forces are just uh, sufficient to deal with that disaster. But when you've got a country like Haiti, which seems to have a disaster every 18 months, then we have four aircraft based in that country, and we can often be the first there uh, to deal with that, uh, that situation. Let me get involved in serving villages. This is a, a slide of people uh, we have actually supporting and flying in water aid there. Uh, you know, uh, bad water, dirty water is a big problem in third world countries. And uh, our water aid will drill down to find wells so they can have clean water and then deal with the sanitation afterwards so that that clean water doesn't get contaminated uh, with the wastewater. But that's what they do. And there's various other things we do also um, in that. And then we get involved in education. Everything in that school probably would have been flown in by, by MAF. The buildings, the, uh, uh, the desks, the de- blackboards, even the pens and the papers, the teachers. The only thing that isn't flown in are, are, the, are the students uh, because they are local. So that's what, uh, that's what we would do. So that gives you a, a very, very rough area, uh, our, our idea of what we do. And we actually fly in. I mean, basically, um, MAF is based, really, on what Jesus would do. And if we, I could have had the uh, text, I suppose, the passage of uh, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Jesus both, both taught about the kingdom of God and brought people into the kingdom of God, and at the same time, he healed people. And so we would take the gospel out to people by taking around evangelists, as we would see right at the very end, 
and um, and also uh, we would actually uh, help people in the sense of being a humanitarian. In fact, we're the largest humanitarian um, aviation network in the world, and it's a Christian organization, which is is great. Let's move on. Uh, when did MAF start? Well, we started over about 75 years ago. There were three people who were mainly um, involved in the organisation then. Stuart King, Murray Kendon, came from um, uh, Australia, and Jack Hemmings. And uh, they are the ones that began the organisation then. Uh, the first plane left Croydon Airport on the 13th of January 1948, and the first uh, work began in the Sudan in the 1950s. At the same time, the, uh, um, uh, Betty Green began the organization in America, and, and you can see it was the uh, Ch- uh, Christian Airmen's Missionary Fellowship, which is rather a mouthful, particularly for Americans who like things short. So they came to us and said, can we, can we have your name, because we're doing the same kind of thing. We said, fine. And MAF began to be worked together. Like we worked with the Americans, with individuals and uh, equipment, and then it began again also um, uh, in Australia and New Zealand, and so therefore MAF International uh, came together, and we've uh, gone on from there. That's Betty Green's air, um, uh, uh, um, aircraft, and there is Stuart King, who led uh, the uh, movement for so many years, and died just a couple of years ago uh, when he was 98. <coughs> Moving on. Uh, last, uh, let's look at what we did in, this is during the COVID crisis, uh, very quickly. Uh, we have 123 aircraft based in 27 countries and we fly into a further 38 countries. Um, just to give you some idea, I think I'm going to repeat those, you can look at those, that's how, the extent of our operation. And you can say, see that we flew to over 1200 destinations. Now, American Airlines actually flies to something like 340 destinations. They are slightly longer flights than what we do, okay, as you can imagine. Uh, but it gives you some kind of scale of the operations that we're in. And in Papua New Guinea, with just 14 aircraft based there, 500 lives were saved in one year. Now, that's 10 a week, which I think is quite a, a statistic. Okay, let's move on. Overseas staff, we've got something like 13,300 uh, in, uh, international staff. Of that, 270 come from, uh, from the Western countries. And the question is, how much do they get paid? That's those from the Western nations, and the answer is nothing, because they have to raise their salary. Uh, if you're single, you have to raise 21,500. If you're married, it's 25,000. And they will go to their friends and their churches, and uh, various other Christians, and then they would try to seek support uh, in that way. And uh, some people will raise more than what they're asked to to raise. Some people would raise less. But it all goes together in in a pot, and then it's shared out between um, each of them. Now, that is each and every year, by the way, not just once. (laughs) So uh, it's quite a um, a sacrifice for those people. You can see the map of the world there, um, and we are... um, in uh, in those countries there roughly and uh, that's not quite accurate there you can see Mongolia up on this side we are no longer in Mongolia but we are on the west coast now of uh, of Africa we're in Guinea um, and we're also um, I mean Liberia got looking to Liberia a couple of years ago and so we're beginning to develop um, like that if you look in the middle of Africa there you can see like a white area 
small white area. Now that is Lake Victoria. Um, and if you were to take a line from the top of Lake Victoria and to go left and right, that is where the equator is. If you went a thousand miles north of the equator and a thousand miles south of the equator, in that 2,000 mile band, you will find that's where most of the disasters occur in the world. It is also where most of the poor people exist in the world. And that is, generally speaking, where MAF exists in that particular area because we're seeking those kind of people. We're seeking people who are cut off, people who are remote, so we can actually reach those. And that's what our aim is to be. We work with something like uh, 2,000 relief organisations, some Christian, some secular, and you can see some there. I'm not going to go through them because I haven't got time to go through them, but um, you can see um, some you'll recognise, others you may not. Okay, let's move on from there. And um, let's take a look at the aircraft very quickly. Uh, we have a number of, uh, I'm going to show you four particular types. This is a, a, a Cessna 182, it's a four-seater, um, but it's got a special engine in it, so it's extended its range. Instead of doing 400 miles, it can do 800 miles. Instead of doing four hours, it can do eight, eight hours. And we want to take light loads over longer areas, and it's been especially effective in places like um, in Madagascar um, and also in Chad, where this particular aircraft is used. And then we have a 206, which is a five-seater aircraft, and that is based in Suriname, and that buzzes around the uh, Caribbean and is very useful when the disasters hit that particular area. And then we have a Kodiak aircraft, which is a nine-seater, um, and that is extremely good for getting in and out of some of the difficult runways that I'm going to show you uh, in just a minute. And that's the Cessna 208 aircraft taking off from our base in Uganda, and uh, you can see there that uh, uh, it actually ha takes between 13 and 16 people, depending on the type, uh, but it's, that is the workhorse of the fleet. Moving on, let's take a look at the runways. This is the, um, it's taking off from this particular runway, but you can see there, it's not a paved runway, but it is a dirt runway, and it's a compacted earth. It has to be compacted down, otherwise uh, in the rainy season, uh, which you know is... <laughs> Quite, quite extensive, it would just wash that, um, that, that surface away. Um, in fact, just recently, there was, it got flooded because Lake, it's right by Lake Victoria, and Lake Victoria actually um, uh, overflowed. So um, that's, the, that's the, just the other things about runway. Sometimes uh, you see Madagascar, and in Mad Madagascar, uh, you can see by the geography there that, in fact, it's going to be very difficult to find somewhere flat to actually pull a runway. And so what we've done, we've kind of skimmed the top off of a mountain and created a runway there. That's a runway, believe it or not. Now then, I want to ask you a question. Anybody here like roller coasters? No? Okay, well then you wouldn't like to land on this one. Okay? All right? Now you'd approach this about 90 miles an hour. You'd touch down about 6 or 70 miles an hour. Um, a lot of aircraft always take off and land into wind. This one, you'd always have to take off downhill and land uphill but you need to stop by the top because there's nothing on the other side. All right? Okay? <laughs> but you need to get to the top as well. There's no point stopping halfway up because the passengers and people you need to drop off is at the top there. This is in Kalamanta in Borneo. And, um, right, we move on. <laughs> okay, you've got to really, if you're a pilot, you've got to spot where the runway is. All right? Now, um, you probably have to, I'm not going to ask any 
happy to volunteer that, but that should show you the runway. It's in the middle there, okay? Um, and then you've got to come down, obviously, and land there. And uh, you can see there's a river going through there in this village. This village, you can see some white dots around. There are people's houses, both there and in the center there. There's about 600 people there in that village. The nearest village to that is about five miles away, just five miles away, all right? In there, there is a missionary doctor, the only missionary doctor in the area, okay? How long do you think it takes to get from this village to the nearest village walking through the bush? Anybody like to guess? A day? Anybody else? Four days. Four days (coughs) to walk through. If you go by air, it takes 15 minutes. Five minutes up, five minutes across, five minutes down. Just shows you why you need an aircraft, really, in this particular area to get you there. You want an aspirin? Four days. Well, it's about as extreme that is. But, but you know, if you've got, got anything wrong with you, you've got a broken leg, uh, you're in labour, four days. You know, that's not going to happen, is it? But that's the, um, that's the problem, isn't it? Aircraft, 15 minutes. And a lot of, air, a lot of places are very similar to this um, in the world. Let's move on. Let's take a look at Uganda. I've been asked to say something about Uganda. Uh, there it is, in case you don't know where it is. And you can see what I'm saying about the equator going through the top. I'm going to move on to the next one. And there you can see uh, the, you can see Kampala and Entebbe. And our base is about halfway between the two on the shores of <coughs> Lake Victoria. And that's where we are based there. Uh, there's a couple of things about um, Uganda that I, I, I want to, particular problems that, that, that they have which I want to um, uh, perhaps highlight uh, when I can get my... And there's two things. First of all, the first thing is that um, uh, uh, Uganda's been going fairly well in recent years, but then there's been a problem in the sense that the states around, you, you can see South Sudan above it, you can see the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, uh, uh, to, to the left of, of it in that, to, to the west of it. Um, and they have had all sorts of violence and uh, uh, problems fighting in those countries. And so there are now something like two million people in refugee camps, either within or in neighbouring countries around there. And that's caused quite a drain on Uganda itself. And consequently, um, it is therefore, if you want to travel overland, which is the second problem they've got, uh, it can be dangerous traveling overland. What with um, uh, terrorists is one problem. Uh, the other problem is the uh, is, is the driving. Uh, the driving can be absolutely crazy at times. Um, and uh, and the other problem um, uh, is is in fact the roads and the weather can can be in certain places quite bad. MAF has got five aircraft based in Uganda, and it can get to anywhere in Uganda within 90 minutes. It also has a regular shuttle, which it flies to uh, South Sudan, to the north, and also to the DRC as well. Particularly for these, uh, we get involved in an organization which is called For Africa, um, and the, uh, the leader of that is called Fred, and um, he actually organizes things like seeds to be sent and thrown in to this particular, um, uh, to, to, to the refugee camps so they can become self-sufficient farmers. Um, and so that is one way of really trying to relieve the problems that there are with um, malnutrition um, in that area. And that's one of the things that we do. I'm going to move on from that one. 
<clears throat> the other thing is that of, of the two million people that are in those uh, camps, 500,000 of them are children who are on the verge of malnutrition. And so what we do, we fly in this, what this, boy, this little boy is um, eating here, and they're called plumpy nuts. And they are um, peanut butter bars, and what you do, just take the top off, and you would suck out of, the, uh, of that um, package. Uh, understand they're, they're, they're a poor tasting peanut butter, so I wouldn't recommend one, uh, but, you, but they would suck that out. And then they, that would be sufficient for three of these bars, would be sufficient for one now-marished child to exist for one day. <clears throat> we reckon that in this aircraft here that we've got, we could probably pack those bars into uh, boxes and then uh, fly in something like 33,000 in an aircraft. So it's 11,000 children can be can have sufficient for one day. So you can imagine how much needs to be flown in. And so we are continue uh, to do that. And that's Fred there, who is the country director of For Africa. <coughs> we have um, the other person I wanted to mention is this is uh, um, Mark and, and Steph Draper. They're just going out there as engineers to Uganda. And I've got their card on the uh, back, and if you would like to support them or pray for them, please take uh, that card. Um, and so they are going out as engineers at the, um, at the end, of, um, end of this year, they think. Okay, so moving on. We'd like to take you on a journey, all right? Not actually in a plane, so you might be sad or pleased or whatever. Um, but we'd like to t- take you to uh, maybe four places... Uh, where MAF serve and give you an in-depth understanding. This is your chance to try out MAF. We recognise that some of you perhaps have got flying for life and it's not for you, this is really for the new people to see what we like. And if you'd like to get involved in that, then there's a leaflet like that, just put your name in, sign that, and we undertake that you only sign up for one year and you'll only get, I think, five notifications in that year. Okay. Um, so this is your chance to, 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 to try out MAF. At the end of that year, we will write to you and say, do you want to continue? If you say no or ignore it, then you won't hear any more from us. If you say yes, then great. That would be fun. So if you'd like to do that, and the other thing is, it doesn't cost you anything. This is totally free. All right? So that's, that's the offer, and there's some um, thing on the table, leaflets of that on the table. And once you sign up today, give me it back, then I will um, I'll give you a, a booklet about it, about the journey. Right, uh, just, uh, I went to Africa a number um, uh, a few years ago with my wife, and uh, this is Sam, and I've got to get his name wrong, um, Sub, Subway. <laughs> Subway. Okay, right, that's it. Okay, um, and Sam is an evangelist, and we take Sam around. Particularly, we would fly him to the Cissé Islands, which are uh, in Lake Victoria. Very difficult to get across there by boat. Six hours it would take, perhaps, you know, but we can fly him straight over there. And he goes around showing the Jesus film. Now, quite amazing. You know, people say to you, uh, you go abroad, and they say, where do you come from? And you say, London. And they say, oh, do you know John Smith? <laughs> you say, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, the only person I know uh, Af- uh, um, who is a Ugandan actually goes to the same church as your vicar Sam, <laughs> because they're both in the same church in Uganda. You might say more about that later. But um, so, um, so that, that's quite interesting. But Sam, uh, so we, we take Sam around, um, and 
we went out into the into a village right in the in the remote area, and um, and he showed the Jesus film. And at the end of that Jesus film, he um, he made he made uh, he made an appeal for people to come out and receive Christ as their saviour. Half the village actually got up. As we were driving back, the um, uh, we had not only Sam was driving, but there was a, there was a, a, a local pastor was with him. And this local pastor said, "But I must come back. I must go back to that um, uh, to that village uh, in a couple of days' time because the the seed has been sown. I must go back and water that." Uh, and we said to him, "How are you going to do that? Because we've been driving around very rutted roads, which were covered a lot. A lot, um, a lot of it was underwater." And he was, he said, "Oh, I go by bike." He said, "How long is it going to take you?" He said, "Take me two hours. Two hours each way. Not a problem." He said, "We had a we had a conference last year." And it was 60 miles away, and people went by bike to that conference. He said there is such a hunger for the Word of God um, that people will go and do things like this just so that they can get. There's a big challenge to us. What is our hunger for the Word of God? Are we prepared to go to those extents, the extents that the Ugandan people are, are, are intended to go to for that? Let me turn finally to this, uh, to the. Um, uh, to, to the passage, and we've seen the passage from, from um, Acts, and we saw there that the disciples were preaching about Jesus, and then they were arrested, taken to the Sanhedrin. And I really want to major on what happened in verse 20. And in verse 20, they basically said that we can't, uh, the reason, they gave the reason why they'd actually gone out and preached. And they said, because we can do nothing else. They had this call from God, and they could do nothing else. You know, we have 1,300 people around the world serving for MAF, and they can do nothing else. They've had this call, and so they have to go, and they have to serve God. You know, each one of us has had a call to go and preach, um, uh, preach the gospel to every nation. And yet we are put, put here, aren't we, in healing? And God is just as important as the 1,300 people around the world to, as you are in healing. And God wants you to obey him and to speak to other people about Jesus within this area. Can you do nothing else but tell other people about Jesus Christ? And that's the call. And that's the challenge, I believe, that I would really want to bring to you this morning. What are we doing as far as God's call for us? Are we being obedient to him? Thank you very much.